this is really the beginning of really seeing this asset class firmly being woven into the fabric of the financial system in a way that would be exceedingly difficult, if not impossible to undo. Um, and I don't think we're all spending enough time having that conversation and what that means for the broader implications of crypto. What's up, everyone? Before we jump into the episode, little plug for Digital Asset Summit coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that we had to decrease the discount code. So instead of Empire 20, it is now Empire 10. Head over to the website, Digital Asset Summit, DAS London, March 18th to 20th. Use code Empire 10 and get 10% off your ticket. See you in London. Hey everyone, if you have been listening to Empire, you know that Santi and I are fed up with unaffordable fees and frustrating transaction speeds that make the on-chain experience basically unusable. So the Arbitrum team reached out and they showed us the platform. They showed us what you can do on Arbitrum. Whatever you're doing, you can experience frictionless transactions at lightning speed on Arbitrum. So head over to portal.arbitrum.io and check it out. What's up, everyone? Before we jump into today's episode, I'm excited to share Empire's first ever security partner. Harpy is the best tool to prevent your wallet from theft in real time. Harpy is not just a security solution. They are a peace of mind solution. But don't just take our word for it. Harpy is the only wallet security solution that protected 100% of its users from attacks like the Ledger one in Q4, which was an off-chain signature attack. To learn more about Harpy, click the link in the show notes or visit at harpy.io forward slash empire. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Empire. Today, we have a special episode with Michael Sonnenschein, CEO of Grayscale. Mike, uh, Michael, welcome to Empire, my friend. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. First and foremost, this is a win for two buckets, I would say. This week <laughs> was a big win for uh, Bitcoin ETFs and, and and just crypto in general. Big win for Emory alumni as well. So <laughs> way, to, way, to, way to rep for Emory. We love to see it. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. <laughs> so, all right, tell me about. I think my first question. I know we don't have you for too long. Is um, you start you joined Grayscale? I think in 2014. So you've been at this game for about 10 years. Um, everyone was obviously paying super close attention to Bitcoin ETF, and we were you know as plugged in as we could be. What were some of the things from this week that maybe folks on Twitter didn't see? Uh, what were the things happening behind the scenes that you thought were either difficult or interesting or that maybe folks didn't see the challenges? Um, I mean, for my team specifically, um, I can't really think of anything that was a specific challenge for us, you know, coming uh, along this journey over the last, I don't even know, 10 years that we've been at this. Uh, it's all for us always been about getting ever more prepared for this scenario. Uh, so whether it was the guts and plumbing and operations and doing days of tabletop exercises and test trading and making sure that everything was going to be, you know, really ticked and tied. Um, we've been ready for a long time, um, which is why not only are we proud of kind of getting to this historic milestone and seeing GBTC actually uplist as an ETF, but also seeing, you know, operationally the trading, the transition from the OTC markets uh, to the NYSE ARCA was a smooth transition as well, smooth for our investors. Um, so from our, from our standpoint, you know, no, no hiccups, no surprises along the way. Um, although I'm sure you're also, you know, not too quickly going to forget, um, you know, misleading tweets coming out of the SEC or, you know, were the approvals really there? Were they not? Um, that's all kind of been a blur, quite frankly, over the last 24, 48 hours. But I keep saying to folks that we're talking about it and reflecting on it, you know, it wouldn't be crypto if there wasn't some volatility. 
Uh, so, so that's kind of how what I chalk it up to. Yeah, very much so. Did you know? Did you have a sense that this was inevitable once you guys won the lawsuit? Did you? Was this? Did this feel inevitable? I think that we were always optimistic about it. I think when we really, really dug into our legal arguments, we really dug into the facts and circumstances being on our side the way that they were, ultimately got that unanimous court victory. Um, there started to be, I think, some speculation within the investment community, the crypto community, as to whether or not the SEC might come up with another reason why they might deny these products from coming to market. Um, but again, throughout this whole process, we had not lost conviction in what we were doing, what we were chasing after. We, quite frankly, had too many investors counting on us to deliver on this. Um, so it was always going to be a matter of when, not a matter of if. Um, and then I think certainly knowing the statutory timelines associated with approving 19B4s and that January 10th date being the first of those that the SEC had to contend with, um, I think all eyes were really on that over the last couple of months. Nice. So I'm going to pull up our Bitcoin ETF tracker here. So the I want to talk about the fees actually for a second. So this was a really interesting kind of a battle that ensued, I would say, over the last two weeks. Whoa, I haven't seen this. This is cool. You guys built this? We built, uh, yeah, we built a, B- a Bitcoin ETF tracker uh, actually a couple months ago, um, actually internally first. And then we realized externally folks would would want this so um cool yeah, it, it's been it went pretty viral this week had like a you know, hundred thousand views pretty cool um to see to see folks uh actually paying attention to this stuff so but anyways we uh the fees were interesting uh, very interesting to actually keep this product updated because i feel like the fees were changing like every single day but so we we thought the fees were going to come out at like maybe 50 bips, bips 60 bips i think it was fidelity who came out at 39 bips and once that happened uh, the the race to the bottom basically ensued with everybody except for you guys. So what did the take us maybe inside of Grayscale? Like what were the conversations like? And did you know this fee battle was probably going to ensue? And you were just like, we're keeping it at 1.5? Or what? How, how did this actually happen? Yeah, so I think all along, I was very public, you know, as the main spokesperson for the company in sharing with all of our investors that we were committed to lowering fees when GBTC uplisted. Um, I'm proud to say that we made good on that promise. We did reduce our fees by 25% uh, upon the uplisting itself. Uh, But GBTC was really going to come to market in a very differentiated way than all the other ETFs that, you know, have now since debuted. Uh, So I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind as we kind of talk about fees, right? Um, Number one, we always knew, even all the way back when GBTC first started trading, we've seen other firms pop up and model their businesses after GBTC and the rest of the Grayscale family of products. So we always have been prepared for a world in which there are multiple products, um, including, you know, multiple spot Bitcoin products. And we've always thought that that's generally a good thing, right? We should ensure that investors have choice and different things are going to mean and have different weight and different value with different investors. So for a lot of investors, um, they may look to a firm like a Grayscale because we're a crypto specialist. Um, We've done this for 10 years. We have a 10-year track record. We've navigated forks and airdrops and mempools being clogged and all kinds of things that, you know, have been speed bumps along the way that, you know, I'm not sure traditional asset managers have ever really had the experience before with operating a Bitcoin investment vehicle. We certainly have. Um, you know, GBTC coming to market with $28 billion of AUM 
on its debut, it was the second largest commodity ETF in the world, right? And so when you ask a lot of investors what resonates, well, for a lot of them, size, liquidity, track record, you know, those are things that you can't take away from us or from GBTC or GBTC's investors. Other investors may be more fee sensitive, right? And there is going to be a cohort of them for which GBTC may not be the best choice for them. And that's okay, right? There should be investor choice here. There should be multiple products. And, you know, we even advocated for this before the approvals came through over the last few months, really saying to the SEC, if you're going to approve this, you need to create a fair playing field. You need to approve all of these products at once. And so it's been interesting and, and it kind of has been playing out the way that we predicted, where all of the new entrants starting from zero, no assets, no clients, no investor base, et cetera, would be competing in a fee war in an effort to lure investors into their products. And inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so you've been seeing a lot of those folks decide to offer fee waivers or you know, even continue to slash their fees as more and more um, you know, updates are being made amongst the different issuers. Yeah. So at first when I saw you guys holding fees at, I think it was 1.5, I was like, they're, they're nuts. That, that obviously has to come down. My se- but then my second thought is when you kind of do some ta- uh, you know, scratch math here, it's like, okay, if, you have 20, it's, if your outflows are less than, uh, let's, say, let's, you know, let's say 50% or something, and you don't uh, decrease fees by less than 50%, you're actually, you know, that's a net positive for the business. Uh, so then that gets into the next question of like, well, but at some point you probably have to compete with other fee products. So if I were you guys, maybe I'd be doing what, um, who runs GLD? Like maybe what GLD did, which is they've got the, the, the gold ETF with the high fees and then the, you know, cause it was, it was very early and then they've got the gold ETF with the low fees. Is that kind of how you guys are thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, we certainly are continuing to think about launching all different types of products. And, you know, I was telling you, um, you know, this is this is one of the areas that I don't think people are focusing on enough, right? The approval of spot Bitcoin ETFs now lend itself to a lot of other product innovation, right? It won't be long before you see probably the players that are very focused on leveraged and inverse for a lot of asset classes or themes of investing probably move into Bitcoin, Uh, Just yesterday, we actually filed for a Grayscale Bitcoin Trust covered call ETF. So you will probably continue to see more permutations. And, you know, the way that I really digest all of this, having been crypto as long as I have been in really chasing after spot Bitcoin ETFs to come to market, is that this is really the beginning of really seeing this asset class firmly being woven into the fabric of the financial system in a way that would be exceedingly difficult, if not impossible to undo. Um, And I don't think we're all spending enough time having that conversation and what that means for the broader implications of crypto. I mean, maybe let's have that conversation. Like what, what, what does it mean? What does it mean for the, what, what are the broader implications of this? ETF? Well, I think let's, that? let's all reflect on it ourselves. Like for instance, what was the first, you know, crypto asset you bought when you first became aware of crypto in general? I mean, it was, it was Bitcoin a while ago. Oh, right. And, then and we, is, is Bitcoin the only thing that, that you now own? Or at some point did you begin to get, you know, interested in the other use cases for other digital assets? Right, you buy Bitcoin, then you might buy some ETH. If you were like right. me in 2017, you bought the, the cheap Bitcoin, which was Litecoin. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think along that very same, you know, continuum, what we're hearing from investors is that this gives them an amazing ability to own Bitcoin 
you know, directly in their brokerage accounts. They can talk to their financial advisor about it. Um, they may own it in a retirement account and, you know, want to hold it for the long term, which is another strategy we've seen from a lot of folks. But then as, as with other investments, they think about, well, what else is out there? And they want to start thinking about diversifying their crypto holdings. Um, and I think that's where we can play a really important role at Grayscale. We, we launched a new framework um, late in 2023 called the Grayscale Crypto Sectors. And it was really to help investors have a guide to really look at the different areas of crypto, be able to parse fact from fiction, why different crypto assets exist, what their use cases are, do they compete with each other, do they not? And maybe we can actually start changing the narrative and helping investors to develop the right vocabulary, the right vernacular, so they can speak about crypto intelligently beyond just looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum because they're the largest assets by market cap. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually been kind of crazy to see uh, Larry Fink on, I think it was on CNBC this morning, talking about tokenization. And, you know, I mean, it sounds like he woke up and is the world's biggest Bitcoin bull now. So it's kind of funny to see. Um, what is the, the, so the path to an ETH ETF, when we talk about other Grayscale products, the path to an ETH ETF feels semi-direct, I would call it. Maybe, you know, we're looking five, six months out, it seems like, but obviously, you know, 10 times better than I do. But when you push past that, whether it's, you know, you have your Link product or Solana or whatever, Ripple or whatever it may be next, um, the path seems a little less clear. So maybe you can walk us through what that actually looks like. Well, you know, I think we've seen comments from our regulators as recently as, you know, I think yesterday and today, continued agreement that Bitcoin is a commodity and it is not a security. Um, and I think a lot of the legislation you're seeing passing through Washington at the moment should be legislation that really does help us as an industry parse out crypto securities from crypto commodities. And that will have pretty broad implications for the assets that are you know, traded on various digital asset exchanges that go into financial products, et cetera. I think importantly at the moment as an investor, though, if you're looking at diversifying your crypto holdings or even just looking broadly, what else, for instance, is in the Grayscale family, um, this is not just important for GBTC having made its way from a private placement all the way back in 2013 to now, you know, uh, a NYSE listed ETF, um, but it actually also paves the way for other grayscale products to continue along that four phase life cycle that we have. And so we have started to see quite a bit of an uptick in demand for other products as well, believing for a lot of these investors that as the market matures, as there's more regulatory clarity, there will be you know, the the advancement of more of these products closer and closer towards ETFs, especially also as investors get more knowledgeable and then want to diversify, you know, the basket of crypto assets they have. Does an ET, uh, if I had to put the prediction on you, does an ETH ETF by end of Q2 seem realistic? You know, I'm not a, I'm not a price prediction or, or time prediction kind of guy. I've been around for too long. Um, <laughs> In 10 so, years, you've, you've, you've learned your lesson, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I'm always happy to take a look and see what, you know, other esteemed colleagues working in the space are happy to say that Bitcoin will be worth X by 2030 or 2040. And, you know, I hope they're right. Um, you know, we're really just focused on building um, and we're really focused on bridging that that knowledge gap that I think a lot of the investing community still has around crypto. Nice. Um, we are certainly going to work hard when I talk about building to ensure we can get a spot Ethereum product, um, you know, into market as an ETF, you know, working proactively with regulators. But 
from a time frame perspective, that's that that's tough to that's tough. <laughs> fair, fair. All right, I mentioned them in the pre-roll. Now I'm going to bring them up again. It's Arbitrum. Santi and I are really fed up with these high fees and we're really excited to have teamed up with Arbitrum for the next couple of months on Empire. As the leading Ethereum scaling solution, Arbitrum now powers hundreds of decentralized apps across DeFi, perps, NFTs, gaming, and a whole lot more. The team has showed us everything in the ecosystem, both now and what's to come, and we're really, really excited about it. Arbitrum allows both daily users and developers to interact with Ethereum at scale with low fees and faster transactions. The way the team got me excited was through portal.arbitrum.io. So my call to action to you is to get started by visiting portal dot arbitrum dot io go experience on chain like it was meant to be for a lot of empire listeners your crypto is not just another number on a screen it's part of your future i know santi and myself feel that way our security sponsor of this episode harpy takes this responsibility seriously and is the only wallet security tool that shields users from both on-chain threats and sneaky off-chain signature attacks if you've ever been in that situation where you're moving quickly you approve something on chain you realize that the address might be a dubious address or you're really hoping that you could take that back, Harpy has you covered. Harpy can redirect your assets to your self-custodied vault, ensuring they remain completely under your control, safe and sound. With Harpy's always-on monitoring, you're not just detecting threats, you're actively blocking and recovering compromised assets from malicious transactions before they can even confirm on-chain. Harpy is the only wallet security solution that protected 100% of its users from attacks like the Ledger One in Q4 which was an off-chain signature attack. So if you're serious about protecting your crypto investments, it's time to make the switch. Secure your wallet for free at harpy.io forward slash empire. That's harpy, H-A-R-P-I-E dot I-O forward slash empire. If you want it to be even easier, just click the link in the show notes. All right, so if we go back to this Bitcoin tracker, now I'm sorting by AUM. Uh, so, you, I mean, you guys are obviously far ahead of everyone else. Then you have Fidelity, and second, then actually Bitwise in third, uh, and then BlackRock in fourth. Does this, and then it, as you go down, Vanek, Franklin Templeton, Arc21, Invesco Galaxy, Wisdom Tree, Valkyrie, does this list in like the order here? If I, I actually, I'm going to put another prediction on you. Like when you look at maybe five years out in the future, do you think that this is kind of what the leaderboard looks like, or is it very different? Um, I don't know who will be on this leaderboard. Um besides grayscale. Um, but there, I will predict that there will be likely, you know, let's call it three, maybe four ETFs that hold spot Bitcoin that will have amassed, you know, uh, a subjective number of significant size. Um, and perhaps many of these other products either won't exist um, or their relevance or trading volumes or investor demand um, will have trailed off because so much of the size and liquidity um, will really be concentrated in, let's call it three, four of these ETFs. Gotcha. What uh, is, <laughs> is, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm learning that you have a good uh, media and compliance team here, but maybe they will let me ask you this one, which is, uh, or maybe they'll let you answer this one, which is um, around just like AUMs and volumes. Um, what, what did the AUM, in terms of like AUMs and volumes and what you saw in the flows, was that did that exceed your expectations? Um, I mean, there's both a short-term question and a long-term question here, which is short-term, like, did that exceed your expectations or did it fall under it? And then long-term, like, what do you think are some realistic, like, numbers to put in our head in terms of, like, what we can really expect this year? 
Yeah, well, I'll say day one was a blowout um, and far exceeded our expectations. I think um, as I saw the numbers transpiring in real time yesterday on the first day of trading, uh, GBTC, I think, was the most heavily traded ETF, you know, debut first day ever. Uh, GBTC, I think, was the ninth most actively traded ETF in total in the United States yesterday um, alone, right? And, and, you know, people are familiar with a lot of other very heavily traded ETFs, SPY, Q, et cetera. GPTC was the ninth most actively traded product on day one. Like that's just blew our mind. And I think it did about $2.3 billion of notional trading volume. Um, And so I predict that over time, assets like GBTC and some of the other products will continue to be, um, you know, hopefully increasing in AUM will continue to be large and liquid and tools that investors use. But depending on how this market shakes out, you may ultimately see that, you know, Bitcoin, if, you know, investors really resonate with a store of value concept, or it really resonates that it's more of a transformational technology, however it may be, you might start to see that a lot of the flows in these products end up kind of staying there because they end up, you know, being core positions for investors mm-hmm. to have over longer periods of time. So I think we're in the earliest days of this. Of course, there's going to be a lot of frenzy, a lot of excitement, a lot of um, investors who've been so patiently waiting for ETFs to come to market um, that I think eventually some of that will kind of settle down in the coming mm-hmm. days and weeks. Um I saw something in our Slack channel or, um, that you guys only had $95 million of outflows in day one, which is, I saw some people on Twitter predicting, you know, a billion dollars of outflows on day one or two, and there's only 95 billion, which I, or 95 million, which I would take as a huge win for Grayscale. Why do you think that the outflows were so small when the, when, uh, you know, your fees are higher than other folks? Why, why is that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of that is evidence that, you know, fees are not going to be the only driver of how investors make, you know, product choices, right? It's an important component, but it's not the only component. Um, again, going back to size, liquidity, track record, tight spreads, I believe GBTC traded an average of a two cents wide spread between the bid and the ask. So, um, you know, that's that's important uh, to a lot of investors. And so a $95 million worth of redemptions for a $28 billion fund, to your point, you know, is quite small. Yeah. Um, in terms of risk management, I was reading about, the, you know, the APs and the authorized participants and how this all works and how you actually create share, like, you know, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of an ETF. How do you think about risk management? Um for example, if uh, let's say Bitcoin were to, or the overall market was to, you know, maybe dump forty percent over the course of a few weeks, you know, which in crypto land has 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 happened many times in the past, how do you handle and think about the risk management of this? Yeah, um, I mean, these are the types of scenarios and tabletops um, that we as an organization have had to go through um, over the months leading up to ultimately getting approval. Um, it really comes down to communication. Um, tight communication with our authorized participants and our liquidity providers um, and making sure that everybody is aligned as well as, you know, with the market makers themselves, um, of which I believe now there's almost two dozen market makers um, in the name every single day. Um, so I think from that perspective, that's that's one of the best ways we can mitigate um, against those types of things. Of course, we as an asset manager, as with you and anyone else in the crypto community, 
we don't have control over the price of Bitcoin. So if there are large movements, you are going to end up seeing that, I believe, reflected in how the ETF is trading. And that won't be unique to GBTC. That'll be true of all the spot Bitcoin ETFs, right? It should be as closely as possible tracking the underlying value of the Bitcoin that these ETFs hold. Yeah. Um, I guess as we think about wrapping this up, Michael, what are the, you know, as CEO of Grayscale, you're probably not living in today land. You're probably living in, you know, six to 12 months out land or maybe even further than that. What's on your mind right now as you start to think about 2020, like end of 2024, and maybe even you're thinking about 2025. What, what's on your mind right now? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things that we're really paying attention to. Um, one, we're just, I'm really focused, certainly as a CEO, on continuing to grow the Grayscale business in a very responsible and sustainable manner. Um, a shameless plug that we are hiring. Um, and so if uh, you're looking for, for a new job, we're always looking for you know high quality, talented, high integrity, uh, thoughtful people to join our team. So there's a lot of growth you're going to see at Grayscale um, over the next couple of months. Uh, number two, we have a U.S. presidential election, uh, 2024, um, and this is something that we've been very focused on. We've really watched closely how some of the uh, candidates going into some of the primaries have been focused on making sure that they are making statements on emerging technologies like Bitcoin, crypto, AI, etc. Um, I think because the youngest demographic of voters that will be going to the polls in the 2024 election is the largest size it's ever been in a U.S. presidential election. Um, and we know, obviously, that the youngest demographic really is the one that is most you know, inclined or most involved in these new technologies like crypto. Um, it's going to be really important to watch how that develops and how important that is to the platforms that some of these candidates are running on. Um, and then I think one of the other things we're also, of course, paying attention to, and I know you guys are as well, is we are going to have a habit. Uh, we're just a couple of months away. Um, and historically, that that has had a material impact on prices. Um, you know, I think the landscape of the crypto mining ecosystem um, looks very different than it has in other, you know, having cycles. Um, I think the the base of users and investors and now financial products involved in Bitcoin is going to be very different than it has in other halving cycles, um, as well as the derivatives market and a whole bunch of other dynamics that surround Bitcoin. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out in the back half of this year. Um, and then I think even looking past that into 2025 and beyond, you know, we're really looking at some new intersections around crypto. I know one area for us is really looking at the intersection of AI and crypto specifically. Um, AI is a really exciting technology. And um, as much as it's advancing a lot of parts of how we live and how we work, um, there's also some shortcomings, you know, deep fakes and all kinds of other things coming from it. Crypto, we believe, can actually be a really important and meaningful antidote to some of the problems that AI has created. And so I think in my seat, having been in crypto for 10 years, seeing new use cases for crypto come up over the course of the last decade, ordinals and NFTs and the metaverse, et cetera, uh, we're starting to see how AI can be an important part of crypto. And I'm sure a whole bunch of other use cases that we're not even thinking of yet. So I think the future is very bright um, and I'm very optimistic about it. Nice. It's a good place to end it. Michael, congrats on everything. 10 years uh, coming <laughs> yeah. up towards... Uh, Feel like this was kind of your Super Bowl of a week. So congrats, congrats on everything, and uh, Thank you. yeah, excited to see where you guys go this year. Awesome! Thanks for having me.
Hey everyone, Jason here. Thank you so much for watching today's episode. Wanted to take a quick second to thank today's title sponsor, Arbitrum. We know you are tired of on-chain experiences that have unaffordable fees and frustrating transaction speeds, and that's why we partnered with Arbitrum. You can experience frictionless trades, lightning speed, and lag-free transactions, all for pennies per transaction. Explore Arbitrum's expanding ecosystem at portal.arbitrum.io. That's portal.arbitrum.io. See you for the next episode. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Asset Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Asset Summit, make sure you use our code. See you in London.